Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This week, I am so excited uh, to sit down and talk with uh, Ryan Van Duzer. Ryan is just this incredible light of positivity and energy. And you'll hear me mention the word enthusiasm like probably like 80 times in this episode. Uh, in which I apologize. I know I, as I was saying enthusiasm in it, I was like, dude, you're saying enthusiasm too much. But, uh, but, but I do feel like Ryan truly embodies the meaning of that word. Um, when I think of, of someone who's enthusiastic, you know, I can kind of picture, you know, this person who's just loving life, just loving, uh, the experiences that he or she get to get to be a part of. And it's cool. It's someone who realizes what a special thing we have on this planet. And I think people who are really enthusiastic realize like you can't take that for granted. You know, you have it. Um, these moments are fleeting and you should fully embrace them while you're in them. And if you've gone to Ryan's YouTube channel and you've watched any of the content he puts out, that is 100% what he kind of exudes, which is so incredible. I really love it so much and I connect to it. Um, And I got the chance after recording this episode, I got to go out to Leadville um, set up and kind of cheer people on at Twin Lakes, which is at mile 40 and then at mile 60. And I watched Ryan come through at mile 40 and you just felt it, you know, you felt the energy come up, uh, amongst everybody there. And it was really cool to see him and to see him taking on a, an incredibly ridiculously difficult event, but doing it uh, with this pure love in his heart is it was really really cool um since recording this episode uh, i've watched more of his content on youtube and i highly i highly 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 recommend it to everybody out there um i really so i enjoyed obviously we'll talk about ragbri a whole bunch um because i have the connection there being from iowa uh and those episodes were tremendous those are some of his more recent ones uh but i also loved seeing his experience out on the whole entire Colorado trail as he biked it, um, as a person who geeks out all things Colorado, um, and a person who's never been on the trail in some of the, a lot of those segments, it was really cool to kind of see what it was like, uh, because that definitely is a goal of mine that I've had forever is to go out and bike pack that, um, it would be so incredible. Um, I also really enjoyed um, his video that he put together, Cycling from Honduras to Colorado. Uh, it was his very first big bikepacking adventure in 2005. And I honestly, truly, truly enjoyed it. And it gave me a lot of respect for Ryan because this was in 2005 before... <laughs> YouTube was a big thing before people were sharing videos like this and to see kind of the foundational pieces of what was going to become some of his backpacking adventure or bikepacking adventures and running adventures uh, that he puts out on YouTube to see that foundation in 2005 when he was just a dude cycling from Honduras back to the USA with a tiny little camera and you see that this guy just loves interviewing people he loves chatting with people along the way he loves uh recording kind of interesting um or entertaining parts of his adventures and putting them together uh it just made me respect the fact that like this is just who this guy is deep down at his core um and I think that's awesome. It's something special to see when you see someone really being their authentic self and true self, which is really, really cool. Um, so let's get right into it. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 302 with Ryan Van Duzer. Mm -hmm. 
All right, ladies and gents, this week, uh, beyond honored, beyond excited, and I have my coffee to try to like reach your same enthusiasm level. Um, we have Ryan Van Duzer on the show. Uh, Ryan has an amazing YouTube channel. He's a bike packer, adventurer, ultra runner. Um, and just like, I gotta say this right off the bat, Ryan, like your enthusiasm just comes through on all of your all of your videos. That's amazing. Thanks, man. Well, I, I get pretty psyched about going outside and doing fun stuff. So when I make my videos, you know, I usually have some energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've been following uh, your stuff for a long time now. Um, but recently, you are starting to do your series about Ragbri, uh, which is the ride across Iowa. And as an Iowan, I was like, I have to, I have to at least try to reach out to him, see if he'll do the show. So thanks for coming on. Oh, it's a total honor. I love doing this kind of stuff. It's fun to meet new people and share stories. And yeah, let's do it. All right. Sweet, man. Well, okay. So I wanted to bring this up right off the bat, like in a weird way. I, I just am curious if you, have you ever like tried to define your core values? Like not to like throw a super heavy question right off the bat. Uh, to eat as many beans as possible. That's my <laughs> core value. No, uh, I mean, I don't like have a written mission statement, but my, my goal in life with everything I've done and all the content I've created is to inspire people to get outside and challenge themselves, you know? So that's like the baseline value, but that splinters off into other things where I want people to be environmentally conscious and be friendly towards taking care of mother nature and friendly towards our other fellow humans and treat people with kindness and respect. And, you know, if you watch my videos, you'll know that I like having a lot of fun. So fun is definitely, a core value everything that i do i want to have fun doing it whether i'm suffering in the jungles of venezuela <laughs> or running a 100 mile race or whatever it is there has to be an aspect of fun and i like to show that um in my videos so people can say oh that looks like a great time i want to go do that because you know sometimes i do things that are hard and a lot of people would be like oh i could i never ever could imagine myself doing a, a marathon or half marathon or whatever it is and I want to show people that, you know, it's it's all about having fun and getting outside and you don't have to have the best equipment and be a, an elite athlete. It's just about getting outside and getting it done. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah, that's amazing. And it totally comes across. Um, the reason why I brought it up at all is because I went through mine last year with my leadership class and my three were goodness, adventure and enthusiasm. And as I was watching your your stuff, I'm like, oh my God, like, <laughs> like we're the same person. We're the, we're the same. Well, oh my yeah. God. But uh, but yeah, so I just I'm curious to hear like some of your ideas about the concept. Like obviously you've had these giant, amazing adventures um all around the world. And uh I'm curious to see like when you think of adventure as a concept, like what does that mean to you? Like how does that affect you and your life and and stuff? Yeah, adventure can be anything that just challenges you in some way. It could be a mental adventure or it could be a physical adventure. You don't always have to go outside and you don't have to do something epic. It doesn't have to be climbing Mount Everest. You know, you could just go on a little half day bike ride to a tree off in a prairie and lay under the tree and look at the clouds and just kind of dream. You know, that's an adventure. And really, that's that's kind of the basis of my content is I want people to just get outside and feel more connected to nature and to themselves. And it doesn't mean you have to be, again, an elite athlete or have all the nicest gear. It's just about getting outside. Yeah, that's amazing, man. I when uh when did that kind of idea like become a part of you? Like was that always a part of you or did that kind of happen as you were growing up? Yeah, you know, I'm born and raised here in Boulder. And I'm very fortunate to have these mountains in my backyard and all these great trails and fun things to do, you know, and I also loved watching like nature shows on TV, yeah. <laughs> far off places in the jungles of Venezuela or whatever, South America. And I was like, oh man, I want to go do that kind of stuff. So I would just emulate what these people were doing on TV, just in my own backyard here in Boulder. And I would get on my bike when I was fairly young, middle school, and just ride all around the trails and catch snakes and lizards and just it was just 
fun. You know, it's fun to get out there and explore. Yeah. And it was, it was my sense of uh, freedom, you know, and in everyday life, you know, you go to school five days a week and you, you know, you have to do what your parents say. You don't have a whole lot of your own freedom when you're young. But when I got on my bicycle and I headed outside, that's where it all kicked in. And I was the boss of me out there. I could do whatever I wanted. That's any misadventures at that time? Like, <laughs> did you get into any trouble? No, I was a pretty well-behaved kid. You know, um, my I was raised by my mom and she had four kids. So I didn't want to stress her out too bad with, <laughs> uh, doing silly things. But, you know, I would... I would catch snakes and, and bring them back home. And my mom wasn't always psyched about that, but I loved reptiles and I had a whole bunch of aquariums and, you know, I would, uh, you know, bring critters home all the time. And my mom would be like, Oh, not another one, please. But, uh, she was a good sport. That's amazing, man. That's well, um, I mean, Boulder, that's honestly, I mean, obviously at this point, it's not a hidden secret anymore. Uh, yeah. Maybe it was when you were growing up, but it is a special place. There are so many trails, so many wonderful places to explore. Yeah, Boulder is, it's an amazing place. And growing up here, it was just where I grew up. It's only, it's the only thing I knew. But once I started traveling, then I started realizing, wow, Boulder is really unique. Yeah, 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 that's amazing, man. Well, I, I think one thing that I really respect about what you do is you'll kind of like pull people and you'll do these like interviews like out on the trail, like, um, like impromptu interviews kind of, um, was that like, how did that develop? Like, was that always a part of you where you're always like extroverted a little bit or interested or curious in other people or. Yeah. I've always been curious about people and that's why I love traveling. Even before I did adventure traveling as just a backpacker, I just loved meeting people from all over the world and hearing their stories and learning, you know, new languages or whatever it was. And so I figured that was interesting to me. That might be interesting to my audience as well. And so, yeah, in all of my videos, whenever I meet somebody, you're, you're going to see some sort of an interview with somebody in the middle of nowhere sometimes. And I, I love it. And it, it really helps share the story of the world with people who people, a lot of times they're watching YouTube. They, they can't travel for whatever reason. And I get to show them the world and I get yeah. to show them the best of the world and the kindness and the generosity of all these wonderful, you know, people that I meet along the way. And so, yeah, it's, it's like, nothing is storyboarded. I, I never have anything pre-produced like, okay, at this point, this day, I'm going to interview this person. Yeah. It just kind of happens. And a lot, you know, I'll run into somebody maybe on the Colorado trail or somewhere out there and start talking to them without the cameras on at first. I don't just ambush people with my camera. <laughs> in face. And then they'll tell me something and you know, it's unique or interesting, or I think it's inspiring. And I'm like, Hey, do you mind if I film this? I have a YouTube channel. I'd love to share it with my audience. I think they'd find it uh, fascinating. And usually, you know, 9.9 .9 times out of 10, people are really cool about being interviewed. Yeah. Do you think you're like, I mean, obviously you're a very positive guy. Like, do you think that's like, a way that people just kind of instantly are like, oh yeah, like I like this guy. Like I trust him. I, I want to tell him more. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm not like some shady character and they, <laughs> they believe me that I have a YouTube channel at the beginning, you know, I, did, I had a YouTube channel, but I had like no followers really. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, nothing has changed in my formula of how I do things. But now sometimes when I interview people, like they will write me like a few weeks later when the video comes out and they're like, holy crap, I had no idea. <laughs> You have a big channel and like people are recognizing me. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, man. Where, like, where does, like, where does your enthusiasm come from? Because like I said, I relate to that. I think it's like, I just, I look at the world and I'm like, why wouldn't you be this way? Why wouldn't you be excited? You know, like look around you, like look at all these opportunities that you have to find happiness and find positivity. But like, where do you think that comes from for from you? I don't know exactly. I've pretty much always been this way as, yeah. since I was a little boy, just a yeah. jolly little goofball. And, you know, I think a lot of it has to That's do a with good name I, for your book, by the way. Jolly, yeah, jolly little, little goofball. goofball. Yeah. There'll be a children's story. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, gratitude plays a big role in it. You know, I go outside and I'm just like, man, this is so beautiful, so incredible. I'm so lucky to be here. And I just get overwhelmed with happiness when I'm outside. Like, when you watch my videos, you're seeing months of work come together to be able to go on a big trip. And I'm out there and I'm loving it. 
and the sunrises and sunsets and rainbows and flowers and everything just get me psyched up. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. How did like the development as like a filmmaker, like a storyteller, um, yeah. like, can you kind of okay. explain that process? I know there's like a really interesting part of it where you bike from Honduras to Boulder. I know that's like kind of a big part and I definitely want to hear about that. Cause that's amazing. For sure. The Honduras to Boulder ride was like my first, you know, story I ever told in, in the world of video way before YouTube. But I, you know, I've always liked being a storyteller, you know, even in high school, if we had the option to make some sort of a creative project instead of writing a five paragraph essay, I would yeah. always get out the video camera and try to do something more fun and creative that fit my style of storytelling. So that's kind of how it started. Then I got a degree in broadcast journalism from the University of Colorado. And I thought I would be like a local news reporter, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I did an internship at the NBC station in Denver, my senior year of college. And it was fun and exciting. And I was around all the you know big name anchors that I grew up watching and the cameras and studios, but it wasn't my style. I didn't really like local news. I wanted to do more long form journalism. And a lot of local news is, is sad and depressing and scary. I wanted to make happy news. I wanted to make inspirational news. So after I graduated from college with a degree in journalism, I joined the Peace Corps in Honduras and I worked with uh, at-risk kids down in a village in the middle of nowhere, Honduras. And it was one of the most exciting, you know, two years of my life. And uh, when I finished my service, instead of flying home, I traded in my plane ticket, used that money to buy a bike, and I rode my bicycle home from Honduras back to Boulder, Colorado. And at the time, I had a little Sony Handycam, and I was like, I'm going to make a documentary about this. So that's really how it all started. That was back in 2005, about a year before YouTube even started. Yeah. So then after you made the film and edited it all together, which I have to imagine was quite the journey in and of itself. Um, what, like, I don't know, did you instantly, like, how did you get it out there for people to see? Yeah. So I, back then with documentaries, you would just submit it to film festivals and stuff. And maybe a theater of 100 people might see it. But yeah. now with YouTube, you know, you, the, the whole world can watch your content. Yeah. So at that time, I actually, my goal was to be like a travel channel TV host. That's okay. all I wanted to do. And at the time, Travel Channel had a show where you could submit like vacation footage for like a clip show they were doing. Okay. What's your trip? And I submitted like a little one and a half minute trailer of my documentary and they chose it to play on the travel channel, national TV. And that's kind of how it all started. And I got paid $500 for it, <laughs> you know, which is nothing, but it was exciting. And it got my foot in the door with the travel channel. And from that point on, I worked for travel channel on and off for like 10 years. No way. Okay. So what was that experience? Like, like that's, that's so cool. I didn't realize that part of your story. That's amazing. Yeah. So I really, really, really wanted to be a TV host. Like that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go out on adventures and be the host and show people how exciting the world was. And I had some success in the TV world. I, you know, I was on the travel channel and, you know, other networks, but the TV world is very hard to navigate. And I just got sick of it after 10 years, after so many broken promises and getting my hopes up about a new show that I just shot a pilot for. And then everything comes crashing down for reasons out of my control. Yeah. And it was just like that over and over again. And in about 2016, I was like, okay, I've had enough of this. I want to try to create a YouTube channel big enough to the point where I can make a living doing it. And this is right about when Casey Neistat was doing his daily vlogs and YouTube became like a legitimate place for people to consume content. Yeah. I think when YouTube first came out, it was just like random web video junkie stuff. And, you know, I don't even think there were subscribers back then. There weren't like channels. It was just a place where you put up videos and, yeah. and did whatever. And it was just kind of garbage. Um, but in 2016, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to create tons of content, create content the way that I want to make the content. Because again, when I worked for the travel channel, yes, it was exciting, but a lot of times I was just reading scripts that a producer would give me and I could memorize the line and spit out the line. Yeah. And so it wasn't my heart and soul in a lot of these productions. It was cool. It was exciting, 
but it wasn't me. YouTube, I can share my heart and my soul. I can talk about things that are important to me. I can talk about things that I could never get away with talking about on TV. Yeah. You know, because, you know, we don't want to offend the advertisers or, or whatever it was. TV is so restricted. So my YouTube dream began in 2016. And I started creating just tons of videos, the same exact type of videos as I make today. Uh, but back then, like I didn't have any viewers at all. It was like my first video had like 35 views, then maybe 55 views. And I really questioned my life choices. At this time, I was, you know, 36 years old. All my friends had real jobs or making real money. And here I am trying to like become a YouTuber. And like, what are you doing, man? Like, you're never going to make it. So I just kept at it, kept at it. I was relentless. And here we are today where I have a channel that's, it's what my dream was. It's big enough to the point where I make a living doing it. And I get to choose the adventures that I go on. And I get to create the content that really means something to me and that I feel is bringing value to the world. Yeah, no, that's amazing. It's kind of like in a weird way, working like for a big company like Travel Channel and having all the money and support that they have makes the show less authentic versus yeah. what you're doing now which i'm assuming like you can do it pretty lightweight and sometimes you do, the crew is one which is you yeah. but like it makes this really like authentic experience that people can watch and kind of like in a weird way like feel like you're a part of absolutely i think the beauty of youtube is it is a little gritty yeah and it feels like you're just hanging out with somebody and i'm not just talking about my channel but a lot of youtube yeah. channels I think the lower production value is kind of the charm of it. And then going back to like interviewing people, when I was with the Travel Channel, you know, we'd sit down to interview somebody and there'd be three giant cameras and they'd set up lights. And so everybody got nervous, of course, because they're not on camera all the time. Yeah. And so a lot of those, a lot of times those interviews were really difficult because yeah. my, my guests were terrified, <laughs> but <laughs> on YouTube, you know, it's just me in a small camera hanging out with somebody in the woods. Yeah, and it's, it can be more natural. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, you see that. Um, I think to me, uh, I've never been on Ragbri. Well, so we'll get into Ragbri in a second, I guess. But I've never been on Ragbri. My mom's done it like fifteen years in a row. Like she's in a huge bike club and in uh muscatine iowa um shout out to carol ward i know she's like when i when i make the podcast i just imagine my mom's the only one listening by the way uh well that's how it was my videos at the beginning it was just my mom watching my videos shout out to the mamas <laughs> yeah, yeah. but uh but i think um just watching your videos about ragbri like you're able to capture this really unique and strange event in a way that you know, my mom's told me millions of stories, obviously, but like seeing it, I was like, oh, okay, now this makes like, now all these stories make sense um, because there's everything from like people partying to people being super inspiring, taking on their bike rides to the moments where, you know, it's like a hundred mile day and everyone's tired and exhausted. Like, I don't know. And you're able to like show that. And it's, it's just really impressive to me. Yeah, it's fun. I love it. And that's the beauty of YouTube is you can tell all these interesting stories that would probably not get any airtime on, you know, regular TV. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were doing travel channel and stuff, like, are you still biking everywhere? Like, are you still kind of obsessed with bikes? And that's how this idea came about. Yeah. So I, when I worked for the travel channel, I was just like a host. So I, yeah. there was very, it was very rare that I was doing very adventure -y stuff. Yeah. I did one show where I biked around to wineries in Northern California and I had to like beg them to let me to like ride bikes. They're like, oh, the logistics are hard and the camera guy's gonna have to chase you around 60 miles a day, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'll film it all myself, you know? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it was a good time, but YouTube is really what I love the most. And, you know, Travel Channel was good to me, but I am very happy where I'm at now. Yeah. And I know uh, you mentioned kind of like the freedom of being on a bike, um, but like, can you ever remember the first time you like really like connected that idea to the bike? You know, like when you're a kid, you just get on your bike and you go around and it's super fun and awesome. But when you're an adult, you start kind of thinking about these ideas like at a deeper level, you know? You know, I, a lot of times I tell people, you know, adults many times who haven't touched their bikes since they were 16 and they got their driver's licenses. 
It's like try to remember back to some of your best childhood memories. And a lot of them are, you know, learning to how, how to ride a bike and the feeling of freedom and the wind in your hair and just the joy that two wheels brings you. And, you, you know, you don't have to be going fast. It's just riding your bike around the block on a beautiful summer night. And I think when people tap back into that, they're like, oh, yeah, this is what makes me feel like a kid again. This is awesome. And then some people go crazy and get, you know, really excited about being like a super athlete and get all the $10,000 bikes. And that's fine. But, you know, it's all about just getting outside. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, yeah. I want to come back to uh, Honduras to Boulder. Like having never done anything like that before, was it intimidating that first day, like setting off, you know, setting out from where you were in Honduras and just being like, I guess I'm going to get to Boulder somehow. I don't know. Like, was that intimidating at all? Yeah, for sure. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, there's not like a set route from Honduras to Boulder. I had to make it all up myself. And I was pretty sad and emotional that first week because I was leaving behind a, a community that I had worked in for two years and all yeah. these wonderful kids. So that actual day I left, I was sobbing and crying and all the kids were like hanging on me and telling me not to go. And it's like that, that was a tough moment for sure. But at the same time, I was also very excited. I was about to embark on the biggest adventure of my life. I was 25 years old and I was ready to like start my life after living in Honduras for two years. And I had a map and I had a rough route of where I thought I needed to go to get home. And I just started pedaling north. And every single day was a new adventure. I'd wake up on the side of the road and put my stuff together and get on my bike and start pedaling. And I met all sorts of wonderful people along the way who invited me into their homes and fed me meals. And I saw wonderful, beautiful Mexican jungles and cliffs and oceans and hurricanes and everything. And that's really that ride is when I fell in love with long distance bike touring and traveling the world. Yeah. What? So to me, like, I think the thing that might be like the intimidating, um, I don't know, like the hurdle that a lot of people can't jump over is just the like unknown of finding a place to stay every night. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's probably yeah. like a weird thing. Like, you're like, I don't really know where I'm staying in six hours from now. <laughs> like, what, do you, totally. what, what advice would you give people based off your experiences? You know, it always works out. It always works out. And I know it's a scary thing just to depend on that. Like Ryan says, it always works out, <laughs> you know, and I do presentations about this kind of stuff all the time because it, that's a worry for a lot of people. Most people yeah. are like, they want to know the itinerary. They want to know where they're sleeping. They want to know if they're going to have a shower and hot water. But when you're bike packing, bike touring, none of that is a known entity. When you wake up in the morning, you're just like, okay, here we go. We'll see what happens. Yeah, You know, and you just kind of trust the world around you. And that's what makes it exciting. That's what makes it an adventure. If everything was the yellow brick road and set out in front of you and perfect, you know, you might have fun, but it's not going to be nearly as adventurous. You know, and I met people, you know, in small villages that had never seen a white person in real life, only on movies. And I come rolling through on my bike. They're like, whoa, what are you doing here? Like, this is not the gringo trail. This is not where tourists go. And we'd start talking and chatting and then their kids would come out and then I'd camp in their backyard and we'd have a big dinner. And I got to share a little bit about my life and my culture and being an American with them. And I learned, you know, what it's like to live in small town Mexico. And I got to do this day after day after day. So for me, it's like the most exciting thing in the world. But I do understand that for a lot of people, it is scary and intimidating. Um, but you just got to trust, trust in the world, you yeah. know, and trust your fellow human. And it's, you know, it's not as scary as you might think. And this goes back to local news. You know, people like watch the news about Mexico. They're like, oh my God, I would never travel there. It's all drugs and narcos and dangerous banditos and all this horrible stuff. You know, the news does no favors for Latin America. And then once you're there on the ground, you realize that, hey, we're all humans. Most people are generous and kind hearted and just want to help. Yeah, I think that's um, probably the reward for like stepping into the unknown there is you get to have this, I don't know, kind of like true perspective of human nature where it's like, no, like most people are good human beings. Totally. And the, these, you know, people down in these tiny villages, 
will never forget the time that this random dude on a bike came through their town. You know, they'll, they'll talk about it forever. That's kind of special. And I talk about them to my friends and presentations. Yeah. And, you know, I have a whole list of my favorite people that I've randomly met on these adventures. And it's uh, it makes the world feel a lot smaller and a lot kinder. Yeah. You know, I had this weird thought the other day. So I'll run it by you since you just brought this up with the news thing. Um, I had this thought where I'm like, you know, like I hear a lot of bad, like a lot of negative things, you know, like I hear it or I read it online or whatever, but like, what do I actually see with my own eyes? Like 99% of my life, I've only seen positive things. And yet yeah. we hear all these negative things and we like dwell on them to this extent that's like totally out of proportion. Yeah. And there's no doubt that most of life is pretty darn good. Yeah. But there's definitely people who struggle. There are negative things that do happen. For there's, sure. there's no doubt that, that that happens. But you are totally right. Like when I was on Ragbri a couple weeks ago in Iowa, everybody was like, oh, man, it's so nice to be here and be tuned out of the, the dreaded news cycle and just be meeting our fellow humans one on one. Yeah. You know, there's 20,000 people out there in Iowa, all from different places in the country and the world. And it does make the world feel like a friendlier place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into Ragbri real quick. What is right. it? How did you hear about it? I know about it because I'm an Iowan. So obviously it's a big event and my hometown is right on the east uh, side. So Muscatine, cool. sometimes Ragbri ends there uh, right at the Mississippi River. So um, yeah. But how did you get kind of get involved with it? One of my friends had been telling me about it for years. He was from Nebraska and he always went and rode Ragbri. And we do a, like a local casual ride here in Boulder. He's like, you would love this. You would love this. And I was like, <laughs> Iowa? I don't want to ride like Iowa. That sounds super boring. But then I finally did it. And I was like, okay, I get it now. I mean, it's, you know, it's in its next year will be its 50th year. It's the oldest, longest, and largest bike touring event in the world. There's about 20,000 people who do it. I always tell people that it shows off the best of America. You know, small town USA at its finest. It's super charming, super friendly. It's bike culture at its best. You're not going to get hit by a car out there. There's way more bikes than cars. Actually, the roads are pretty much closed off to cars. And it's like a it's like a roving county fair. You know, <laughs> you see some goofy stuff. These small towns, you know, bring out the the goats and the animals for people to pet and play with. And uh, there's live music every night. Lots of classic rock, and it's just a good time. Lots of classic rock just describes my childhood in Iowa. I feel like yeah, <laughs> just everywhere you go, just Ario Speedwagon everywhere. Oh, um, yeah. There's a lot of journey out there. <laughs> lots of uh, don't stop believing, and you know it's fun. It's twenty thousand people on bikes, and I would say most of them are not elite athletes who are in the best shape of their lives. There are people who ride 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 probably once a year, and they get in shape for it. You'll see all different types of bodies out there, different types of people, ages, everything. And it's really a very welcoming bike event because a lot of times biking can be intimidating for some people, especially women. You know, it's not the friendliest sport, I think, um, or at least it's perceived that way. But Ragri is definitely something for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And I think the thing that your videos have shown, uh, at least the two that you put up so far, which I'm looking forward to the other ones for sure. Um, but it shows all of these different people, they're out there for different reasons. You know, some reasons are really serious. Some reasons are just to have a good time or escape from a regular routine, like you just mentioned. Like, what, what do you think it is about... Um, you know, like just an adventure like this that would bring out kind of these big kind of big stories that people have. You know, I've met a lot of people out there that are there for, you know, different reasons, personal reasons. You know, some people I've met who have lost a couple hundred pounds and they want to do the biggest challenge of their lives and they train for Ragbri and they make it happen. And then I, this year I met the dream team, which is out of, based out of Des Moines, Iowa, and it's a group of um, young athletes, like I think starting at age like 12, and they mentor these young people in Des Moines 
for five months leading up to RAGBRAI and they, you know, get them a bike. And then these young kids go out and do RAGBRAI 450 miles. And it's, it's a huge accomplishment for a lot of them, something they'd never dreamed of doing in their lives. And it gives them a sense of teamwork and camaraderie and, uh, you know, gives them a lot of confidence. Like, wow, I just rode my bike across the entire state. You know, how many kids can say that? you know, anywhere in the United States, unless New, New Jersey is probably pretty easy to ride across <laughs> the mall, but Iowa is, is a large state. Yeah. I mean, did you, I, without, you know, no spoiler alerts for your own YouTube channel, but did you see them at the end of like the very last day? Like yeah. if you did, like, what did they, how did they feel? Like what, what did they experience? Because you're right. Like just the amount of self-esteem that would build to be like in the confidence, just like, I did it. Like I made it oh, myself. Yeah. I didn't see them the final day, but you know, I was talking to the director and he was telling me stories of, you know, what these kids do after this, they get super involved with, with cycling and ragbri and, you know, gives them something healthy to do. You know, a lot of times during these, these days, kids are playing video games, they're inside, they're not eating healthy, but you know, if you give a kid a bike, you know, hopefully that they'll jump on that bad boy and, and love it and keep on riding it and really make it a big part of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you have a favorite Iowa in town? Uh, Muscatine. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been to Muscatine, but it's a I, cool name. It's a cool name, man. If Iowa was a face, you know how it has like a big nose? Yeah. Muscatine's like the booger, right? Just oh, really? Yeah. Mississippi goes gotcha. east and west, you know, it's a good place. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, I love a lot of these small Iowan towns. They're all so charming in the old storefronts and the old like soda fountains. It really feels <laughs> like you're going back in time. And, you know, I did Ragbri in 2018 and we got to finish one of the days in the Iowa State Stadium. Oh, that's cool. So I have a special place in my heart for Ames, Iowa, just because we got to, you know, ride right into the football stadium at the very end. That was cool. That's super cool. That's awesome, man. Well, yeah, I someday, someday I'll do it. I know my mom has tried to talk me into it forever. And I'm yeah. like, maybe year 50. I don't know. Like you got to do it, man. It's a great, it's, you know, it's a fun thing to do with your mom. It's a good bonding exercise. Yeah. I brought my mom in 2019 and she loved it. No way. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of that, one of the videos I saw, I think the very, one of the very first videos I saw, I saw a handful. Did you do a video where, or a series where you like interviewed people while you were running? Like, out oh here? yeah, yeah. Cause I watched one and just being out here as a trail runner, I just geeked out about where you were running. I'm like, that's the dirty Bismarck trail. Yeah, I'm like yeah. pulling my wife aside. Look, look. And she's like, what? <laughs> she's like, yeah, big deal, man. <laughs> yeah, big deal. But uh, so speaking of like smaller adventures, you did a video where you rode your bike to your mom's house during the pandemic and like camped out in her yard. And I just thought that was so cool because at the time, at, like we were all looking for these local things that we could do safely and outside. And I was like, what a good idea. Just riding his bike to his mom's house. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm a total mama's boy. You know, we're very close. And during the pandemic, obviously, I stayed away just because we didn't know how deadly or not deadly this whole thing was. So I really respected that my mom wanted to stay safe. And uh, I think March of the pandemic, late March or no, it was around April. I decided to ride my bike to her house and just camp in her backyard. And we, you know, we hung out in the backyard and it was really fun. And, you know, I like showing that venture on my YouTube channel because it shows people that, Hey, you can go do these little things and, you know, just a one night adventure and you'll probably have the time of your life. Like sleeping under the stars is just good for your soul. And again, you don't have to have the best equipment or being super amazing athletic condition. Unless your mom lives on the top of a mountain, you're all good. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I wanted to ask you to, um, just about, yeah, I think in a, in one of your videos, you mentioned this idea of like the amount of presence for you, like when you're present and you're aware, your awareness is up. Um, it correlates to the amount of joy that you're having in any moment. Um, yeah. can you kind of like expand on that idea and like, how do you, cause we live in such a distracted world right now with everything we can always constantly be checking our phones, like, all the time if we wanted to. Um, so can you kind of expand on this idea of just being present? I think when you go outside, nature demands a level of presence. 
if you don't have your phone with you. Whenever I leave my door, I don't have my phone with me when I go running, when I'm exercising, it's just time to be outside. And when you're outside, you know, just the littlest things can catch your attention and put you right there in that moment. Maybe you see a beautiful bird fly by or some awesome clouds off in the distance or an amazing vista, you know, on top of a mountain. And you sit there and you're like, wow, this is what it's all about. This is what's special in life. This is magic. You know, phones are cool. TVs are cool. Netflix is cool. But for me, I think nature is the coolest. And when you can see all the little intricacies and beauties of nature and bugs and animals and rainbows, I mean, that's the good stuff. And that snaps you right into the present moment. You know, yeah. it's just you and you're staring at a rainbow and it's like, okay, you feel connected. Again, I've said that word a lot in this interview, but you just feel connected to nature and you feel connected to yourself. Yeah. And that's something that I think a lot of us uh, are not connected to because we're so connected to the internet and other things and distractions and music and podcasts. And, oh, wait, don't stop listening to this. Oh, podcast. wait. Yeah. Shoot. I forgot we were doing a podcast for a second. I was yeah, just yeah. I was like, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Media and all that stuff is exciting and useful, but I think it's, it's important for us humans to get outside as much as possible. Yeah, no, that's true. And then even like to do lists for me, I know for me, sometimes this, the, the distraction is constantly trying to check stuff off the list of what I need to do during the day. Um, and even like, you know, going out for an hour run or something like that just helps. It helps like calm me down a little bit. Absolutely. Um, which is amazing. I, and I want to ask this question, like as a huge compliment to you, because I feel like it comes across that you are very present with either someone you're interviewing or, you know, the experience you're having and you're trying to describe it and all that stuff. But what are the challenges being staying present while also being like, I'm going to film this thing. You know what I mean? Like you're trying to tell a story, but you're also trying to be like in the moment. And I've, I know I've talked to a handful of people who have filmed things who always mention that as like a challenge, you know? Yeah, that's a tricky balance for sure. And I get this question a lot because when I'm out there on an adventure and I'm filming it, it's my job. This is yeah. what I do now. You know? <laughs> yeah. YouTube is what I do to make money. It's not a hobby where some people could just be like, I don't need to be filming this. What's the point? Because I have a job. But for me, it is my job. And I always tell people that the adventure comes first. That's the first priority. Number two is documenting it. And so I want to have a really good time for me personally. I want to just enjoy it and be present. But I also want to share that magic with the audience. And so there are times where I'm like, man, I need to capture this beautiful sunset and all the colors. And I only have maybe two minutes before the sun goes down. But I also kind of want to just enjoy it myself and not worry about cameras and batteries and audio and microphones and all the stuff that can immediately pull you out of the present moment. And a lot of times frustrate you because things don't work. <laughs> or maybe I'm traveling with somebody else and I don't want to ruin their special mm -hmm. moment by sticking a camera in their face. Hey, how do you feel about this sunset? What do you know, whatever I'm asking them about. And so it's a tricky balance, but I think I've, I've mastered it now where I do these adventures and I have a great time and I come home with, with wonderful footage and a lot of the magical moments I don't capture, you know, these videos are sometimes, you know, 20 minutes long. But, you know, the day was 24 hours and I've only, you know, filmed sporadic moments and put together a video for the audience. It's not everything. Yeah, I think that's kind of a misconception I had for a while where I thought about this idea. I'm like, ah, oh, filming it must take you completely out of the moment trying to like make a video like this. Um, but then I realized exactly what you just said, like you're really only showing like a sliver of yeah. the actual experience that um that you're having yeah and for me it's cool i get to relive the experience when i'm editing the videos together and i'm like wow this was really cool i'm glad that i documented this and now i can look yeah. back on you know 15 years of life and my life is very well documented all the biggest moments in my life are on camera and that's pretty unique that's pretty special yeah, no, that's amazing. I, I, I've been journaling a lot this month as like a challenge, but I realized like that's something I enjoy about it is 
you know, even in the moment, if I'm like, ah, like maybe I'm not like feeling it or whatever, but like being able to look back at it, I'm like, this is such a cool document to have and to be able to like reflect on. And I'm sure that is kind of similar. Absolutely. You know, when I rode my bike home from Honduras, I filmed it and I also journaled it with hopes of someday writing a book. And I finally got it all together. It'll come out this fall, but I was no reading way, really. My- yeah, it'll come out this fall. It's awesome. It's really good. I'll tell you all about it when it's ready to roll. But I was reading through a lot of my journals from 15 years ago and stuff that I had completely forgotten about. <laughs> and I never would have remembered them if I tried to now try to write a book 15 years later and just like tap into my own memory. I would have missed so many of these awesome details that I wrote about 15 years ago. So journaling can be really powerful. Yeah, that's a That's so cool, man. So, okay. Just fast forward real quick. Um, you've done some crazy adventures. You've done some amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, I want to hear a little bit about bikepacking, like the Colorado Trail, and then the one that I am trying to remember what it's called, the Great Divide mountain bike mountain route. Bike. I want to hear about those. Like, once you're like, there's a difference though, right? Like, the ragbri stuff is one flavor. There's a bunch of people. There's a lot of energy. And then cut to, you know, great divide mountain bike, like that's in the middle of nowhere and you're by yourself. Like, can you just describe those, that kind of difference there between those two types of adventure for you? Yeah. Ragbri is like really catered and easy and there's food (laughs) every five miles, more food than you can ever eat and there's water and everything. So it's like, it's not one of those adventures where you go on and you're like, oh my God, I fear for my life. I'm going to be in the middle of a cornfield. It's, it's pretty easy as far as bike adventures go. You know, the Colorado Trail, the Great Divide, you know, I've ridden rides in the middle of nowhere, Mexico and Baja. Those to me are like, okay, I'm heading out into the middle of nowhere and I'm by myself and I have to be really self-reliant and smart because I'll have maybe two or three days sometimes where there's no food re- resupply, no water resupply. I have to pack it all on my bike and my bike weighs a ton and I'm putting up mountains. <laughs> But I love that stuff. I love pushing past my mental and physical barriers. I think I really discover a lot about myself and who I am. And I, you know, just like those kids on the dream team, I gain a lot of confidence when I can accomplish one of some of these things. You know, the Colorado Trail is, you know, 500 miles from Denver to Durango, up and over big mountains all day, every day. And that was by far the most difficult bike packing adventure of my life. Physically, it was, it whooped my booty. It was so hard, you know, Uh, but by the end of it, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I actually did it. Because in the moment, there were some times where I was like, this is torture. Not only is it physically hard, but I'm on top of a mountain pass at 13,000 feet and a lightning storm rolls through and then it gets scary and you're on your own. And maybe, you know, maybe there's some animals out there that you're spooked by at nighttime in your tent. And like, there's a lot to think about for sure. But I, I love those adventures and I always feel like I've become a better person when I finish these things. I feel like I'm more patient and more compassionate towards other humans and animals and nature. And I just, uh, my heart cracks open a bit when I push, do these things and push myself. And so I really find a lot of value in doing hard things and not just bikepacking adventures, but hundred mile races like Leadville or other things like that. It's like, okay, I'm going deep into the pain cave. I'm voluntarily choosing to do this. I've trained for this. Here we go. Let's yeah. see what happens. Yeah. I do have to ask about Leadville as a runner. When did you get into running? You know, what is it about? Like, how is it different than biking for you? Cause you do, you're so proficient on the bike and now you're doing ultra running things. Like what's the difference there? It's funny, you know, I've been a runner much longer than I've been a biker. I've been a runner since I was six years old. You know, growing up in Boulder, we have a huge race called the Boulder Boulder. 50,000 people run it every year. I started doing it in first grade. I fell in love with running. And ever since then, I've, I've been a runner. As far as doing the long distance stuff, that started in about 2015. Okay. And I started, I did a 50K, actually the Burning Man 50K. There's an ultra marathon out there. <laughs> yeah. And I fell in love with the culture of it. It's very supportive and fun loving. And, you know, I, I did track and cross country in high school and it's so competitive and scary and it just hurts. But ultra running is, is a lot different. It's like, everybody's like, come on, you can do it. It's just very supportive. 
And, you know, the book Born to Run was really influential to me. That's the book that really kicked off the barefoot running craze of about 2007 or eight. And it documents a race down in the Copper Canyons in northern Mexico with uh, the Tarumara, the, the natives down there that run in the sandals made of cut up car tires and stuff. And these guys just run forever and ever and ever. And I wanted to go down there and experience this firsthand. So I went down there in 2016 and ran that 50 miler. And I've totally fallen in love with that community and all those people. And I've been back many times. Um, but running for me really is probably my main sport. It's easy. All you need to do is put on a pair of shoes and run out your door. Yeah. Biking's a little bit more complicated. There's a lot more gear, there's a lot more things to, you know, deal with. The the risk factor is higher. You know, you can crash at high speeds, you can get hit by a car. All those things are, you know, kind of spooky, but with running, it's, you know, it's safe, it's fun, and it's just you and your feet and you're outside and uh I I find a lot of value in just you know, after a hard day, get, I'm getting my shoes on and just running for even as little as 30 minutes. Some days it's just like, ah, okay. Life's good. Everything's yeah. going to be okay. What, uh, what's the pain cave like for you? Like when you're there, super, super positive, Ryan, he's in the yeah. pain cave. What happens? What happens to Ryan? Is there like an alter ego or something? Yeah. Dark Ryan comes out. <laughs> oh, he hates everybody and everything. No. <laughs> No, I mean, the pain game is when it just things hurt so bad, you're really questioning your life choices. Yeah. And a lot of times you're completely exhausted. Maybe you run out of nutrients or you bonked or, you know, you're running through a rainstorm or a hailstorm and you have no energy left. That for me is the pain cave. You're like, whoa, this is this is next level. This is not comfortable right now. But you always know that everything is temporary. You know, you can run yourself through all of these downtimes in a race. Or you just realize maybe you have to walk for a while. Yeah. Um, so or for me, in the, something. Cave, in the pain cave, I do what's called the gratitude march, where with every step I take, I think of somebody that I love and I say their name. And so let's say I'm thinking about my family. I get one step, mom, dad, brother, sister. My friends, you know, you think about all these people that you love with and every step you take, you think about them and it helps snap you out of your own pity party and it brings you essentially to a happy place, you know, and uh, I, I find that the gratitude march really helps me through a lot of the hard times, whether I'm, I'm running or on a bikepacking trip in, in a hard moment. I'm stealing gratitude march. I just wrote it down. Take it, take it, man. Stealing it. Um take it. So you're going to be gratitude marching this weekend at the Leadville 100. Yes. I, this podcast is going to come out probably like a few weeks later, a month later, but, uh, oh. but well, I just won the Leadville 100. Then, oh shit. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what are what are your expectations? I know you said you ran it last year. Like, what are you looking forward to? What are you nervous about? Things like that. I love ultra marathons because they're a journey. They're like a, a physical and mental journey. You're going to go through so many different emotions through a, are we still on? Sorry. I lost for a second. Sorry. Go on. Okay. Um, I love ultras because they're a journey. They're a complete physical and mental journey. You go through all these different emotions and ups and downs and highs and lows, physical pain, mental anguish, and you get to see all the different phases of the day, you know, rainstorms and sunrises and sunsets and animals. And there's all these wonderful people that are all around you who are supportive and the aid stations are amazing. So for me, an ultra marathon is just an adventure. And I know it's going to be a long adventure. These hundred mile races last year, Leadville took me 24 hours. Hopefully it'll take me quite a bit less this year, but uh, I love it. You know, and like I said earlier, like I think these things make me a more loving human being. When I get to that finish line and I see my loved ones, you know, I have tears in my eyes and I hug them and I'm so just grateful to be alive and I've just accomplished some huge event and I feel good about myself and I feel psyched and I know that I can just chill out for a while and not run and I can eat junk food and watch movies and it's just a great feeling. That's amazing. That's awesome, man. Uh, what, what are you nervous about for Leadville? You know, the weather is always sketchy mm, in, yeah. in the high country. I mean, there can be lightning storms, rainstorms, hail. I mean, it can get very cold. I don't like being cold. 
Um, so, but you know, you just prepare for these things. So I'm not really nervous about a whole lot. Like if I was trying to win Leadville, then I'd probably be a lot <laughs> more nervous. Yeah. I just gave it away. I didn't win Leadville, he, but I got third place. Yeah. Third out of however many. I, I think there's like 800 people that run. <laughs> no, but I, you know, I, I take it seriously, but not that seriously. Yeah. You know, I want to have a good time. It goes back to this, my, my mission. I want to have fun. I want to connect with myself and connect with nature connect with my fellow runners out there and get to the finish line. If that all happens, it's a good day. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, I'll be out there cheering you on. Hopefully I'm hoping to be out there. If you see me, I'll high five, say, I'll be like gratitude March. Yeah, exactly. Remind me. (laughs) Yeah. I'll see you in the moment where you're looking exhausted and just like gratitude March. Um, that's awesome, man. Well, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Like, I'm a huge fan and uh, I love the energy and the goodness that you're putting out there, honestly. Like when you mentioned, um, you know, not necessarily want to do local news because it sometimes focuses on the negative. And by sometimes, I mean a lot of times, unfortunately. Um, But doing what you're doing is so important, I think, because you're trying to put goodness out there. You're putting hope and optimism. And I think that's an incredible thing. Thank you. That's the goal and I'll continue to do it and uh, stay tuned for more adventures on the channel. And I appreciate you giving me some time on the Bigfoot podcast and uh, I will see you down the road, my friend. Yeah, man. Where can people find your stuff if, uh, if they're unaware of it? So my YouTube channel is where I put all the stuff that I really care about. And that's Doozer TV, D-U-Z-E-R TV. Or if you just Google my name, Ryan Van Doozer, all the stuff will come up. Nice, man. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I would be honored to have you back on the podcast at some point. It'll happen. (laughs) All right. That wraps up this week's episode of the Like a Bigfoot podcast. Thank you so much, Ryan, for coming on. Uh, I would be beyond honored to sit down and do another podcast with you at some point. Uh, Maybe we could actually do this in person next time, eating burritos, riding bikes, doing all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, All right, after talking with Ryan, watching his videos about Ragby, I've been very, very inspired to to really go out and have an adventure. So I have something I'm gonna try right now. Let's see if this works. Hold on. Okay, now I can probably hear you. (laughs) Hey mom, mom, guess what? Yeah. You're 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 on the podcast right now. Oh no. <laughs> I can't be. Why? I, I, I thought you were going to tell me you got accepted to go to Banff. Oh. <laughs> no, we'll see if that happens. But um but yeah, I I wanted to ask you something. How many years have you done Ragbri? Oh my gosh, nobody counts them. Probably I don't know, something like 15 probably. Do you remember the one time you called me at like five in the morning in a tent and you were like, it was pouring rain, thunderstorming and you were like, yeah, you're like, come pick me up. (laughs) I don't remember that. And then I woke up a couple hours later and you're like, nah, I'm good. (laughs) I don't remember that, but we've had some very crucial weather on Ragbri at times. (laughs) One time we had a hundred mile straight line wind, but luckily for us, it was like a mile down the road. No, that's good. That's good. Well, I want to ask you something real quick. Yeah. What would you think next year's the 50th anniversary, right? Yes. What would you think if I came out and did the first couple of days with you? Would that be cool? Oh, I would love that. I would love that better than river rafting. (laughs) Yes, I would absolutely love it. Okay. Yes. Well, well let's plan but on that. You better be ready. You better be in condition. Are you going to crush me at Ragbri? Is that what you're saying? No, I just know <laughs> running and biking are different, you know. No, I know. I know. Do you know where yeah. it's oh. when when do you find out where it starts? Um into January usually. Okay. So usually the last week in January, I think. Or the, maybe it's February. I think it's January though. Okay. Well, I'll plan yeah. on I'll plan on joining for the first couple of days at least. I don't think I can do. I don't think I can leave Lindsay with the three girls for an entire week. But oh, 
Well, maybe not. But once you get on it, if you don't do it all, I know. You don't get the high at the end. So. I know. That's the thing. I'm like, oh, I'd love to like actually drive, like ride all the way across the state. Right. The first days are really hilly, and then the middle is flat, and then the last is. Believe it or not, Colorado people, we have hills in Iowa. <laughs> Well, not quite mountains, but hills. You got hills. It's but, nonstop hills, you know. Yeah, it's just rolling. Yeah. They're great. Yeah, but okay, yeah, sweet. Super. Well, let's plan on okay. it. Oh, I'm I'm gonna pencil you in right now. All right, sounds. Now good. I am definitely going. <laughs> Nobody else is going. All right, Everybody me and you. Like, yep, we're in there, buddy. <laughs> All first, right. My first event was with my brother Bob, so. There you go. It's good. All right. Since and I call you Bob sometimes. Since you, know? you always call me Bob, you say <laughs> you you call your own son. You don't remember your only son's name. You call him Bob. I know, but that's just when we're having fun together. So I think it's I think I'm still 20 years old, I guess. Oh, I gotcha. Does that yeah. always happen? How old are you right now? Do you want to say that on a podcast? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Am I really on the podcast? Yeah, you're on the podcast. Oh, okay. Well. This I is 40, this is the. You feel so forty though. That's what I was gonna ask. Yeah, I I, I feel forty five, but I'm seventy two. So there you go. Well, I feel like I'm like twenty, and I'm thirty five. So is that just how it happens? That yes, that's how you don't look at yourself as old. You don't realize that until the people you teach with don't ask you to be in the dance that they're gonna do in front of the other kids because then. That made me realize that those young people knew I was old. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't put me in the dance. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. That's a truth, too. Is, so. Yeah. I mean, I think you so, do a good job of not being old, though. You know? Like, I feel like, like you just said, you don't feel... You don't let your age, quote-unquote, hold you back. You know? Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Now, you're... You get a little more cautious about falling. Yeah. Believe it or not. But hey, you know what? I listened to Brady today, you and Brady. Yeah. On your three, 301 podcast. That's right. Your second season. So, season two. I listened to that. And I listened to your 300 one also as I was driving to Davenport today. Nice. Just to hear your little voice, buddy. Oh, <laughs> wow. Bob. All right, Bob. <laughs> wow, Bob has a good podcast, huh? Yeah, he does, but he doesn't usually answer the phone, so I can distinguish you. Oh, You're that's Chris. good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Chris. Cool. Well, yeah. Ragbri twenty. All right. Twenty twenty three. Let's do it. We're on. All right. Sounds I'm good. Keep riding, then. All right. All right. Sounds... I just got done riding. In fact, okay. I, I know you did. That's all. That's all you you can do. You know, you just ride all the time. <laughs> I know, but I play pickleball in tomorrow morning, so there you go. Gotcha. Gotcha. But yeah. All right. Hi to everybody on the podcast. I All mean, right. you're going to be listening to this. This is the outro to the next episode, which is kind of oh, about really, Ragbri really? somewhat. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad it's the outro and not the real thing. Good. Well, okay. you got to come on for the real thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe oh, when yes, we're definitely. when we're doing Ragbri for the first couple of days. Oh, yeah. I'll write down some past stories. All right. Sounds good. Well, I do remember one. Oh, I'll have to tell you this one some other time. No, no, yeah, we got time. No. Okay. Remember that when we went through I was close to Iowa City and you came out? And we stole Matt, my cousin Matt, away and took him out yes. to the bars that night. Yeah, that was fun. Yes. But you also, I was, and I just want to tell your people that I'm single and I was single then, but we were dancing. I had this dancing partner that would always show up. We never. We don't even know each other's names. We always just dance together, you know? This and is getting night, too personal, Mom. <laughs> no, no, this is funny. One night you brought chicken. I said, we're in this little town. We might run out of food. Bring me some chicken. So you did. You you brought it to my tent. I was downtown. I had to come home. Couldn't hardly find my tent. It was pitch black. People had moved in around me so that it looked so different. Yeah. Mom, found my tent was eating the chicken and i think you guys were all downtown or my sister was and she's like carol he, your dance partner's looking for you and so i didn't go back 
Yeah. Because it was so dark. So I gave up the other white meat for chicken. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? No, that's that's my story, kind of. That's what you call the uh, the guy. <laughs> no, I just I'm like I went for the other white meat, which was chicken. <laughs> <laughs> That's and stayed home that night, and then I never saw that guy again. We well, never danced again. Man, that's and, a. Tr- and we've that's, been doing that for two years. That's so. tragic, mom. That's a tragedy. That is tragic. Maybe yeah, really. if we go and do rag ride, you'll be able to dance with this guy. Yeah, I I'm sure, you know, we both changed. That's been quite a while ago. This is a while. Fifty years. Yeah. yeah How? But was the was the chicken worth it though? Oh, the chicken was worth it. And, and besides that, it was too dark. I had to ride my bike. I didn't want to take the shuttle in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll be, we'll be, I'll be introducing you to a lot of things on Ragbrai. All right. Sounds good. good. All right. We're doing right. it. First, at least the first day or two, for sure. Oh, absolutely. That's the best time. There's more showers on the first day. Okay. okay. Sounds good. Well, they, that's because people don't come the first day. <laughs> that makes sense. It's but. good. All right. All right. All right. Love you, Mom. Love you, too. All right, Thanks bye. for calling. Yep, see ya. All right, ladies and gents, that was Carol Ward, the number one fan of the podcast, who also, every time I mention that, like, something kind of hurts or that I saw a snake, I instantly get, like, you know, pepper spray or, like, ibuprofen in the mail or something. So, anyways, gotta love the mama. Uh, My kids are down here now for this outro, so we are going to sign off, (laughs) and we will get back at you next week.